Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Nikki Kinzer. Well, hello, everyone. Hello, Pete Wright. Hi, Nikki. Over there speaking Spanish. I was speaking, I was so embarrassed. Our, we talked about it in our member pre-show. I, our, our guest today, and you, walked in as I was frantically trying to unlock my evening chest in Duolingo, and uh, all I could think about is Barbie. You, you know that scene in Barbie yes. with the bolígrafo. <laughs> it's just, it's just amazing, and uh, it seems like uh, just what an incredible application of gamifying something that that is so fantastic and unlocks something deeply in human potential. The idea of of uh, you know speaking another language and does it in a way that makes me obsessed with points and jewels and XP. It's fantastic. It's great. Uh, are you excited about continuing this series? Yes. We've got some great stuff going on. Yes, and I feel like we got really lucky with our next lad, our next uh, guest. Yes. Look, this is so. In the first episode of this season, a couple weeks back, I brought up my experience attending a lecture on games and gaming at the Chautauqua Institution in Western New York, and I talked about the massively multiplayer edition of Rock Paper Scissors that was transformative in my worldview, and I talked about uh, the uh, that quote. Uh, games make rules fun that you and I gushed over loved for like straight up an hour. And I, I cannot believe that our, that speaker at that lecture, the moderator at that game and the speaker of that quote are all one person. And they're here today to talk to us about games. I, it's just, I feel like I just introduced the iPhone. It, it's a communication <laughs> device and a music player. And are you getting it? It's all one and thing. Oh, oh my goodness. It's, it, I'm really <laughs> happy about this. Before we dig in uh, and do an introduction proper, let's just do the reminders. We have a couple of quick announcements. Uh, if you want to get to know us a little bit better, uh, you can visit TakeControlADHD.com and you can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to our mailing list right there on the homepage and get an email with the latest episode each week. A brief announcement, Stitcher for our Stitcher listeners is closing down and there is no alternative from their parent company, SiriusXM. So if suddenly your Stitcher app loses loses us, please go find us anywhere else fine podcasts are served. This has nothing to do with the ADHD podcast. We still exist. Stitcher has been one of those things that people complain about. So there you go. Stitcher's leaving. It's not our fault. Um, 
You can connect with us on Facebook or uh, Instagram or Pinterest at Take Control ADHD. But to really connect with us, join us at the ADHD Discord community. It's super easy to jump in the general community chat channel. Just visit TakeControlADHD.com slash Discord and you will be whisked over to the general invitation and login. If you're looking for a little bit more, particularly if this show has ever touched you in the past or helped you to understand your relationship with ADHD in a new way, please consider supporting us through Patreon. Patreon is listener-supported podcasting. With a few dollars a month, you can help guarantee that we continue to grow the show, add new features, and invest more heavily in our community. That's at patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. And one of the benefits at the deluxe level or better is getting the full ad-free extended edition of this show, which does include my embarrassment of having our guests walk in on me doing Duolingo. And so that's that. Colleen Macklin is a game designer and professor at the School of Art, Media, and Technology at Parsons School of Design. She's interested in how games model and reveal ideologies through systems. At Parsons, she's the founder and co-director of Pet Lab, an extraordinary lab that develops games for experimental learning and social engagement like disaster preparedness games and sports with the Red Cross, the urban activist game Reactivism, and the physical fiscal sport budget ball that pits college kids against congressional budget officers and the White House staff. <laughs> wow. Over that one. She's a member of the Game Design Collective Local Number 12, known for the video game Dear Reader and the social card game The Metagame. She's also co-authored with John Sharp, Games, Design, and Play, a detailed look at iterative game design and iterate 10 lessons in design and failure. And incidentally, she reports... She was recently diagnosed with ADHD herself, which makes her doubly cool in our crowd. Colleen Macklin, welcome to the ADHD podcast. <laughs> well, you know, Pete and Nikki, I have listened to the podcast before. When I received my diagnosis, I, at this point, it was a, several years ago, uh, I immediately reached out and listened, and I love it. So I can't believe I'm on Aww. here today. I'm really, really happy oh, to be here. Thank you. I, oh, I, that's I, so I have cool. to say, we had no idea that you uh, had any relationship to ADHD at all. We just want to talk to you because what you do is amazing for neurodiverse <laughs> brains. This is an incredible coincidence and we're honored that you are here. Well, I have uh, to say, I think um, folks who are attracted to games, folks who are attracted to making games, uh, and often those two things go hand in hand, I think um, in many ways might be considered neurodiverse uh you know um mm -hmm. I, th I i've met a lot of game designers uh and we've shared our diagnoses and we've shared anecdotes about why games for us motivate us um and why making them do too and um yeah so it's a cool That's community great. and i'm glad to be part of it oh such a cool community uh, you know it, it's it's a cool community it's a kind community uh and i i think it's a community that uh engages with different stimuli uniquely. And that's one of the reasons I think it's it's so important that you're here and talking about this stuff. Can we talk a little bit about your your road to diagnosis, though. I mean, was oh, yeah. it sounds like it probably wasn't a surprise. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's really interesting because I it's so funny because my wife is like, yeah, I knew the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> they always they always do. Yeah. They always do. Oh, my goodness. Um, And, you know, I really it, it was just getting to a point where I was having some increased difficulties as I got older. I think that, um, you know, you start to learn more about yourself. You've lived with yourself for a while. And uh, so I reached out and um, spoke to a therapist and, um, 
you know, that's when I got my diagnosis, but uh, I'm really glad mm-hmm. I did, you know, it's like explained so much in my life. And, um, you know, certainly I've, I've, uh, you know, worked and, and, and lived for a long time without the diagnosis, but now everything makes sense. And I have new mm. strategies for managing it, which I think is really, you know, the main thing I needed. Talking about the, the game development stuff in, in a bit, has it changed the way you approach your teaching? Oh, you know, I've actually, over the years, um, my students, I'm, I'm, I feel very lucky. They often confide in me about, uh, you know, their diagnoses or, um, you know, I hear from students about issues they might have with learning because learning is really, I think, where the rubber hits the road, right? You not only have to be able to pay attention in an environment that the classroom isn't the most stimulating environment. Let's just say um, I try to yeah. I try to change it and make it a little bit more uh, exciting for folks by having more hands-on activities and getting up out of the chairs and doing stuff. But you know, students students uh, certainly you know need different levels of support. All students do, and those who come to me who have an ADHD diagnosis, I immediately can understand, and I feel like at least since I got my diagnosis and since I um, started medication and started other kind of mindfulness techniques, I was able to listen and, you know, kind of hear and understand better what my students were going through. So uh, I just find it, it's a blessing. I'm really glad I was diagnosed and I'm really glad that uh, I have amazing students. Well, and, and those two words, like you're able to listen and hear yes. <laughs> a lot of I find my experience yeah. with ADHD. I can listen all day long. <laughs> I I hear a fraction of what I listen to. Yeah. So that's really I think that's really important having those words. Absolutely. Uh, tell us a bit about your journey with games. One of the things I observed in in your lecture at Chautauqua, it, it speaks very broadly to our experience in the audience, right? Like, hey, you know, you you may not know you're a gamer. I told Nikki she was a gamer and she didn't know it. <laughs> right. But, but you, Although I do play games every day. I just yeah. didn't. I had a different like thought around it. I mean, until, there you go. Yeah. 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 You're a gamer, so Nikki. Sorry to tell I you. Am. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm so interested in your journey, your personal journey as uh, with games like there is a i'm sure a fascinating path that led you from there to teaching game design at parsons oh well you know um i don't want to tell you my whole life history but i'll 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 say we'll take the highlights <laughs> I'll take, yeah the highlights are that you know when i was 9 i got my first video game home video game console i guess um, and it was the Atari 400. Now, it's a little different. Most people are used to the Atari 2600, right? 2600. Yeah, yeah, with the joystick and the single button. I mean, things were simple back in those days. Um, but the 400 actually had the same kind of interface, but it had a little keyboard on it. And it let you put a cartridge in there. You could play Pac-Man or you could program in basic. Okay. So oh. I got hooked immediately i was able to type in print colleen return go to line two and see my name fill the screen right and every kid who's ever learned a program back in the olden days uh has probably learned those three lines of code um and i you know soon started typing in back in those days you got magazines that had code in them for 
different kinds of games and you would type it into your computer and you'd be able to run them. But then I started changing the games. I started making them about my obsession, which was Jacques Cousteau and underwater exploration. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, I really, uh, you know, uh, if you would have asked me at the age of nine, what I wanted to do when I grew up, I said, I'm going to make video games. Um, now that path diverged, uh, after a while, I think that, uh, you know, it wasn't really socially acceptable to be into video games and, and coding when I was young because it was very gendered and it was mostly the boys who were into that. Uh, so as soon as I hit like puberty, I, I kind of stopped, sadly. Um, but I returned to it. I returned to it actually um, through a circuitous path, studying photography, filmmaking and international affairs um and yeah that makes sense right <laughs> yeah <laughs> in, Complete in sense. almost no way at all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so well it, yeah it's i mean in just in terms of being able to explore using these kinds of other forms of communication to explore various perspectives I, it seems to it does seem to make well, sense yeah mm-hmm. and i i think for me you know photography is also it's a it's a technological uh, practice, you know, you're learning how to work with a camera and how to work with, uh, you know, chemicals and other stuff at the time, or now you're working with software like Photoshop. And so I was doing that kind of stuff as that transition happened and computers could do more powerful visual things. Um, and so I kind of, you know, I just sort of got immersed, um, in the idea of fabricating imagery I started doing visuals at rave parties mm. uh, in New York City. <laughs> like, what, just describe um, that. Like visuals. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, the laser like shows. Really, I'm things? thinking like psychedelic. Yeah, can like, you imagine yeah. that? <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. I would have like you know poodles jumping through hoops backwards and forwards, and like Bruce Lee doing doing cool stuff. All kinds of content. Um, and I was just kind of mixing these videos and applying effects to them. Um, and that kind of brought me back to programming and that brought me back to the joy of making things for people, uh, making things to entertain people. Uh, and, um, you know, video games was kind of like a hop, skip and a jump from there. Uh, I, it, that's that's fantastic. Mm. So what do you find your I mean, you're still obviously making games on the Atari 400. I, we don't need to ask that. Of course, of course, you have that. As, <laughs> I actually do still do. have it. I, I love it. I love it. I I boot it up every, every once in a while and I uh, I play some uh, Centipede. <laughs> uh, outstanding. Yeah. Well, I, I'm blown away at the love of some of those old games. Like, right, uh, we can still play Alien, like Invaders with the, in now in VR and I can like shoot them with my phone as they descend upon me in real space. Um, this, this whole sort of transition to, you know, multimodal gaming, um, I'm I'm curious what lights you up about today's and our next bit of technology, just in terms of the things you're excited to work on. Oh, my gosh. Well, I have to say the number one most exciting thing about making any kind of game and in in your introduction to me, you, you know, I've made sports. I've made tabletop games and card games and video games. And the thing that excites me the most is seeing players play and do really weird stuff you wouldn't have anticipated as a game designer. Because the cool thing about making games is that you come up with the rules 
you come up with, you know, the world and the narrative and how everything works together. But people come with their own ways of thinking, their own brains that are different from your own. And you learn about people. And I just love that. I just love to see someone do something I never thought of before. That That is one of the most interesting things about your Vitae is that you've, I mean, you talk about the games that you have made for, uh, you know, for different platforms. I'm a huge fan of Dear Reader and uh, blessedly already what I just got the metamorphosis. Let me tell you that. Like, oh, hey, I, I like Dear Reader a lot. <laughs> and so nice. uh, so that that whole the, that experience, my introduction to your work as as a game artist was through through your you know, these platform games, right? The iPhone and, and things like that. But when you introduced Budget Ball uh, at the, in your speech at the introduction, the first I'd heard of it, and it's extraordinary. Would you talk just briefly about it? Because I think it's such an interesting way to pivot your thinking about how we game. And then I promise we'll talk about ADHD stuff. Oh, absolutely. Well, Budget Ball, um, you know, it's a game uh, about a very scintillating topic that we all are just dying to dive into the federal budget. hundred <laughs> percent. Right. Um, and it's, it's a sport, uh, physical and fiscal sport. Ha ha. Um, and, um, every year for several years, um, it was played on the national mall in Washington, DC between college students and congressional budget officers. And it was really meant as a demonstration of, uh, what it means to go into debt. Like going into debt, strangely enough, feels great. You can do more oh, yeah. than you could before, right? Yeah. Um, and, but then getting out of debt, right? A lot harder. Feels, yeah, it's like you great. get the inverse dopamine push. That's right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's it's completely counterintuitive, but the game is really about that. It's about your emotional connection to debt. Um, and also thinking about the federal deficit and what that means and the reasons why we have to go into debt in order to stimulate the economy and uh, get things working. Right. Um, but then also what happens if we try to get out of it uh, and the kind of constraints we have to take on. So the sport itself involved two teams trying to get the ball to the end zone. It was a game of passing. There's no tackling or anything like that. Um, <laughs> We really tried to make it, uh, you know, very uh, approachable to all physical, you know, abilities. And in the game, you go into budgeting sessions. Yeah, know, because it's like, it's like have... eight-minute sports quarters and three-minute exactly. budgeting sessions. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah, normally you have halftime. Well, this time you've got a budgeting session. <laughs> and you need to decide, um, what are you going to do? Are you going to go into debt and get power-ups, meaning an extra defensive player or uh, the ability to score with two balls instead of just one. Mm. Um, but then uh, to win the game, you have to have the most points, but you also have to have a manageable budget. You can't be way out of line. Yeah. So you also have to decide when are you going to try to get out of debt? And then to, to do that, you have to take sacrifices, which means everybody's got to wear oven mitts or, or, or uh, you might have one less player, et cetera. And they all had different money amounts. Uh, there was an interest rate, everything. So it's wow. really a game of strategy, right? Mm -hmm. But also running around and having fun. And I have a question for you both. Who do you think won every single tournament? College students or congressional budget officers? Oh, 
I'm going to say the college students. I'm going to go with budget (laughs) officers. College students, they win every time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. If anybody's going to stack the deck in their own favor, it's the budget officers, right? I know. You would think. You would think. I don't know what that says about uh, this country. But but regardless, (laughs) um, you know. I, I think there was some uh, physical uh, resilience advantage. There. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How interesting. Well, and that that leads us to, uh, you know, something I've been thinking so much about with regard to the ADHD brain and what I think Budget Ball represents. Interestingly, of your catalog, Budget Ball to me hit home because it addresses two very different sort of conceptual realities in our brain. Right. Moving back and forth between those two um, those two modes um, has, I think, an interesting perspective for the ADHD brain. Do you have a, do you have thoughts Absolutely. on how that how you approach design with that in mind? Well, you know, I mean, we talked about dopamine earlier, right? Uh the whole thing about games and, you know, they can be all kinds of games is that they certainly release dopamine. There's pleasure in games. It's the reason that we've been playing games as a species for since before written language. Um and so There's a great deal of pleasure in that. And part of that, you know, when we learn and the way we learn best is when we have dopamine kind of, you know, happening there in the brain, when the brain is activated. And so games are designed specifically to do that. They're designed to be accessible. They're designed to be fair. They're designed to enable failure in a way that doesn't hurt doesn't feel well you know some some folks are bad you know poor losers but for the most part if you fail in a game it's not going to impact your life in a negative way and so you know games kind of have this sort of special sauce of making learning fun and engaging not just the mind but the emotions and the body like when you are playing a game even if you're sitting still and playing a video game you're your palms start to sweat, you, your eyes dilate, you lean forward, right? Um, and I think that games kind of provide that perfect context for uh, engagement. There, there, there are two potential comments here. I want to start with this, this failure piece, which is, you know, one of the things we talk about all the time is RSD, rejection sensitive dysphoria, right? The act that rejecting or being rejected or failing in the context of a social situation um, can create an undue burden on our brains because we feel that rejection more strongly and and can lead to other, you know, spikes in emotional experience. and. I think about this in terms of what it means to be a a better gamer, right? What it mean what does it mean to be a better gamer? Not in terms of skill or proficiency in the game, but in your ability to play the game for what it is and not necessarily to win. Do you have thoughts on well, that? Well, I think I think that's a big deal, right? When we sit down to play a game with each other, oftentimes when we're playing like a social game, a card game, something like that, um there's two goals, right? The, f- the first goal is the goal that the game identifies for us, which is to win, right? Um, and to do that by having the most points at the end or, uh, you know, you know, getting rid of all of your cards if you're playing, you know, like a gin, gin rummy kind of game. Um, 
But that's the goal within the game, right? But we're also at the same time managing a second goal. And that one's kind of more overarching. And that goal is to have fun with each other. And so, you know, on one hand, the game is like, you need to destroy your friends. Yes. Win- <laughs> winners will have the most fun. That's right. That's right. Uh, and then on the other hand, though, it's like, hang on here. Be cool. Because this is also about us getting together, socializing and having a good time. So I think we're learning to modulate and manage our relationships with each other in these situations. Games teach us how to keep these two goals in mind and to always be kind of moving back and forth between them. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I have in my past, I, I admit it because I've changed. I turned over a Monopoly board in my youth. Oh, uh-huh. I know. Yeah. I know I'm I not alone. I think we've all been there, haven't right. we? Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> I think I've done that. Game-induced rage, but one of the things that I know in hindsight is that I am also a victim of that uh, that RSD sort of rejection from myself. I turned over that game and walked away from the table in front of my parents and my friends, and I am carrying that with me now. Forty years past, it, it's still there Pete, in my heart. So, Keith, as a coach, you need to let that go. Yeah, I know, but look at <laughs> look at the lesson, right? I think that experience made me yeah. quote a better gamer. Like yeah. I enjoy games more as a result of not feeling quite so strongly about them. Right. And and I, you know, I've played the games where I've invested hundreds of hours in video games and online worlds, and I've played the short games. Threes is one of my very favorite games too. Like oh, those wonderful. those games, like they they give me an attraction, a relationship with experimenting through social re- engagement that I don't feel quite so strongly about. So how do you address, uh, or is there a way, I should say, in in game design to address uh, outsized levels of competition that players may experience, right? When I look at Monopoly as being completely wrongly designed for for that (laughs) experience, how do you think about it? Well, we won't be able to go into the whole story of Monopoly, but what no. I will say, uh, <laughs> I don't have enough is, violins to play in the background. It's a sad oh, story. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The, I mean, that is an incredible story. Um, and Mary Pilon, who wrote The Monopolist, is someone who uh, speaks really incredibly about that. And I would recommend that book if you're curious about that history. We'll add it to the notes. But you know, okay, what happens when you flip over the Monopoly board? Okay, this is what ha- is happening. You are so invested in that goal of the game, right? Um, And you can see yourself being thwarted. And the problem with the way that Monopoly has evolved, I mean, its original design was actually quite good, um, is that it, it takes a long time to play. Oftentimes, people play with house rules that are different from the actual rules of Monopoly. There is an auction element to the game that most people just jettison because they don't remember playing it when they were a kid. Didn't know that that it existed until I played the tablet version of the game in which they enforce that rule by default. And it actually makes the game better, I have to say. It's a little bit hard to learn at first, but it really does improve the aspect of the game that is like the long death march, right? You all know it. When one player is just amassing all of those utilities or they're getting like the high-end properties and putting, you know, houses on them. Um, and you just, you're just frustrated, right? It's just building, building, building until that board, you, you flip it over. Um, and I think the thing that's happening there is that we have an emotional investment in this thing, right? That we have voluntary, voluntarily come to, to 
to play. And it's a really, really interesting phenomenon. I think games are kind of incredible in that way because they place us into this other reality, right? right. These goals that, that, you know, it, you win at Monopoly, it doesn't make you a millionaire. Right. It doesn't really make you rich. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but that we care so deeply about yeah. that. And I think that actually we can use that. We can leverage that and we can reflect on it to ask ourselves questions about real life. Like what does matter? Um, you know, and how do we also just manage those feelings, those emotions when we can't succeed? What do we do? Um, and again, I just think that idea of holding in your mind the goal of the game and the goal of like why you're playing in the first place, which is to have some fun. Absolutely. And it's interesting too, because I think as a a person who watches games, right? Like I, I like watching mm -hmm. college football. I like watching the NFL as they get closer to the Super Bowl, not at the beginning of the season. But uh, <laughs> but there are certain games that, you know, you like to watch, but you do, you get so invested, especially in college football, I do. And I get so invested in the team. And then I'm thinking, okay, it's just a game. This does not affect me personally. Like my day is going to be exactly the same these players are going to be just fine. <laughs> like, you, know, yep. you have to kind of talk yep. yourself into it. Uh, but then I was going to say also, I, I like playing poker a lot too. And I like the strategy of, of poker. And I think that with poker, it's not so much that, I mean, yeah, you want to win, of course, but you want to get better. And so you're yeah. looking at every hand of like, okay, how could I have played that differently? How, how can I, I mean, it's just this like, a drive to just get better like i want to go to vegas and play poker and feel confident <laughs> heck yes nikki i support that goal yeah I, yeah i love poker i absolutely love it i have a, a a sort of standing game with some friends uh and what's absolutely fascinating about that game from my perspective as a game designer is that you know the basic rules of the game are pretty uninteresting. I mean, you know, for most games, actually, tabletop games, what's more boring than reading the rules? Oh, my God. Um, but so poker is just, you know, what hand beats the other hand, the turn order, etc. But the cool thing is that you develop, there's these emergent strategies. Bluffing isn't part of the original rule set of poker, but it's what we do as humans, what we bring to the strategic approach that we, you know, uh, come to with these sort of rules uh, and it enables us to do and think in new ways that we don't normally think with, but then we can apply that to skills in real life, right? Um, so learning about your own self. I think that games really are a mirror to our own uh, abilities, our own emotional regulation uh, skills, our social skills, um, and our ability to, you know, learn and be deeply invested in, um, you know, feedback and what's happening in the, in that game that, uh, to me, a game like poker is a perfect example because it's not the game, but it's how we play it. Exactly. That makes it so exciting. Yeah. I, I love that point because, you know, last week we talked about tabletop games and, uh, you know, uh, tabletop role-playing games specifically, right? Oh, this whole wonderful. I'm, I'm, do you, you know, one of the things that I love so much about it, even as a, as an old guy, we have a six year standing game and the whole idea of being able to take on a persona 
and play that persona as sort of experimental experiential theater. Uh, oh my God, yes. Right? That, there's you can learning try that comes from that, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in games, we become someone else, right? Uh, we can try on different personalities. We can try on different abilities, you know. Um, That's why, like, and, hearing you guys talk about poker, and I don't <sighs> poker. I don't, like, I don't understand it. I'm not good at it. I lose all the time. But when you say bluffing was not a part of the original rule set, isn't bluffing taking on a persona just like you're doing yep. in a role-playing game? Oh, absolutely. And that's what games do. They give us these little stylized systems to live within that are different from the systems we normally live within. Um, and they, you know, there's arbitrary goals and there's, you know, weird constraints to getting to those goals. Like, you know, when you play golf, like you have to use all these little sticks to get a tiny ball into a hole really far away that you can't even see. Um, and so games give us these sort of interesting problems to solve. And while solving those problems, we really, you know, learn a lot about ourselves and each other, other folks that we're playing with, too. And you build uh, memories. I mean, that's the yeah. thing, too. It's oh so fun, God, yeah. like, to think about, you know, all of the different vacations you might have taken with other people and how, you know, oh, remember that when you were, like, almost peed yep. your pants? Like, I'm because you're laughing so hard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah it's yeah. fun. It's fun. Absolutely, because we're activated. We're right. emotionally invested. Um, you know, games really give us that opportunity that, you know, normally uh, you've got to make that for yourself. You've got to like turn work into a game, I guess, if you're going to want to have those kind of feelings and experiences from that. Uh, you're so much of what you talk about and write about is, is in using games and the, the rules of games to broaden sort of your perspective in the world. And I'm, I am uh, I'm curious where your uh, where your work is in in moving some of those things forward? How do we use games to learn more about uh, uh, about ourselves? And and yeah. how should how should our minds be oriented? Uh, what should our mood mm -hmm. be as we we play a game to learn? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I have to say, you know, um, my primary interest is and okay, this is going to sound nerdy, but it's how do games reveal the way that systems work. And systems and systems dynamics is this sort of uh, way of understanding the world as not just separate stuff, but interconnected elements that have relationships and through those relationships have certain outcomes. So, so much of our world is systemic. Um, climate change, right? Like, how does that work? Well, it's a lot of interconnected things that, um, you know, behave in certain ways and uh, lead to certain kinds of outcomes. And that's what games are, too. They're these little approachable and understandable systems. The ones in the real world are pretty hard to wrap our heads around oftentimes. I mean, just look at how we're responding to some of the bigger problems and crises in the world today, um, like climate change or systemic racism. Um, but with games, we can kind of encapsulate those systems just like budget ball, you know, debt. And we can make them approachable, understandable, and within a time frame that we can get from, you know, not understanding how the system works to a deeper knowledge, a deeper understanding of those inner workings. And to me, that is the sort of magic of games that, you know, just like film is great at understanding storytelling and 
understanding how people might react in certain situations. Games are great at helping us understand interconnected and complex systems. And to me, that's magic. So my research lab, you know, a lot of my work has been about translating real world stuff into accessible and approachable games. So from federal debt to the electoral college to uh, what we should do uh, during a flood. Um, it's just a real sweet spot for kind of universal oh, yeah. playtime. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just... It sounds light, light stuff, you know, yeah, super uh, light. But to that yeah. point, like in your research, you're working with students. I, I assume these mm-hmm. students are there not by force, but or fiat, but by by choice. And uh, how how do you find getting those topics and, and making them engaging to these other brains oh. outside of yours? How does it work? Oh, well, I have to say, if you want to understand something, make a game about it. That is how you learn uh, how things work in a way that's entertaining and engaging and that you can show to somebody uh, and play with someone and actually have a fun experience. And that's what learning really should be, right? It should be fun. When we're little babies uh, and children, we play to learn, right? And I think now as adults, we kind of have to relearn how to play. And so to me, uh, the beauty of games is that they give us that excuse and they let us learn something new, learn a whole new system, uh, learn, you know, how to strategize within that system to get to the results that we want to win or succeed. Um, And they're wonderful opportunities for that. So with students, the best thing is we're not going to sit down and you're going to hear me lecture about the electoral college. It's how do we make a game about this really boring, weird, convoluted thing that, uh, to be honest, when uh, this was one of the first games I made with my students and I didn't even understand how the electoral college, how the electoral really college worked. <laughs> oh, my God. I yeah, I'm now. embarrassed to say. Yeah. I, oh, my God. As my students said at the end of that project, now I understand how the electoral college works as well as I understand baseball. Wow. And oh. to me, that was just like mind blown. I was like, okay, I've got creative, amazing art students who want to make incredible media. They want to make video games. They want to make all kinds of stuff. And I can take something like the electoral college or climate change or you name it, whatever they care about too. You know, uh, I have students making games about uh, student debt. They care about student oh, debt. They care about right? that. Oh, for yeah. Sure. yeah. Uh, they have to. So, um, you know, and then uh, designing a game about it is really trying to understand at the core how that system works and how we can actually make it approachable and understandable. That's so, so interesting to me. To I, I wrote it down because this is so inspiring to think if you want to learn about something more about the systems, make a game out of it. Yeah. Wow. So, how do you start to do that? Like, sure. Yeah. Where, where, do, where do you go? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Well, I think the thing about games, right. Is that they're about action. Yeah. So yeah. the way I like to break it down, I like to do nouns, verbs, and adjectives. Okay. So let's see, give me, give me something you want to learn about. I want to learn how to um, build a second brain. I'm learning how to store okay. my notes. Like, where do I store my notes and how do I organize that? That's what I'm learning right now. This is a long running crusade. For it Nikki. is. Okay. Yes. It's very exciting. Great. Yeah, okay. Excellent. 
Okay. Well, what are the nouns involved in that? Right? Is it a notebook? Is it a, you know, a physical notebook? Is it Well, I'm learning from a, a physical kind of book. And then okay, I'm building gonna, a second brain. Yeah. Right and then I'm Is it an idea it or ideas nouns uh, in this context? Is is that what you're talking about? What? Go I'm sorry, Pete. What did you say? Well, I was just saying like we have uh, like the atomic elements of notes are the ideas that go on a note. Mm -hmm. uh, the notes are individual sort of units of of measure too. Um yeah. Uh, we have tags to tag tags. your notes, right? Categories. Tags Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You're doing okay so far. All right. Okay. You're doing great. All right. You're good. doing great. So, <laughs> okay. so, so that, you know, you got lots of nouns there, right? Okay. You've got the stuff that you take the notes on. You got the kind of notes that you're going to make. And um, the idea of just even a second brain is super cool. Mm -hmm. um, so then you might think about like, well, how's a brain work too? How does it store stuff? Um, store. Okay. That's a verb, right? Yes. What are some other verbs? Organize. In? Organize. File. Yeah. File. Write. Write. Maybe. Draw. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Take a picture. That. Yes. Yeah. So we can think of all these verbs, right? Um, and then what does it feel like to have a second brain, Nikki? Oh. Oh. <laughs> just does a sigh that, count? Is that, as a, a... is that something? Yeah. Like, what is that sigh? Like, just relief, I guess. Like, yeah. relief. And you don't have to hold it all in your worry first about brain. It. Like, you know where it's at. Like, you can go get it when you need it. Exactly. Relief. relief. Okay. So that's like, that's how I start. Basically, it's like, okay, we're going to take the nouns. We're going to relate them through verbs. Uh, and we're going to make a game that feels like relief. Right? So, you know, some of the best games out there, I don't know if you've played Overcooked or Diner Dash. These are time management oh, games. Fun. And they really are kind of about work, right? They're about like, how do you uh, manage lots of information and relay it and act in ways that kind of keep that stuff uh, happening and going and not falling into chaos and how to keep it organized, right, uh, to a certain extent. So I could imagine that kind of genre working really well for your second brain game. Yeah. Where you got all these ideas, all this stuff coming into your brain. How do you store it and then develop that kind of calm, that sense of relief? Oh, that, I love it. I, that's uh, it's wonderful, and it gets to something we I I think we uh we talked about maybe not quite thoroughly enough in our first episode which was this idea of gamifying your life is this yep. how is this like every day for you you just see oh here's a new thing <laughs> i have to do else? i'm going to make a verbs? game out of it now yeah. verb adjective <laughs> well you know i've been involved right now working on a new project where i am um trying to make a game that uses machine learning and you know if you have you ever tried chat gpt oh, oh yes. yeah Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to make a game that makes a really weird chat GPT to to have a conversation with. Um, and part of it is programming and coding. And so for me, what I try to do is I write down what is my goal today? What do I want to kind of get done in terms of programming? And the reason I think I was attracted to games since I was nine years old is that when you write a line of code, you get immediate feedback. You run it and you see it completely break and shatter. <laughs> I love how that's Usually. your first example. Yes. Usually. Yeah. yeah. But then you iterate and you get better. And I just have to say, I think the best skill for living is learning what games teach us, which is 
failure is okay. That's how we learn. You know, you start with Super Mario. You don't know that that red stuff is lava until you jump into it. But you have multiple lives, right? And you can iterate. You get better over time. You can keep trying and getting better and fail better, really, uh, to use Samuel Beckett's uh, term. So that, to me, is really about to gamify one's life, I think, to me, is to recognize and understand you're not going to be good at it the first time. And to give yourself that forgiveness and to be approaching things in a playful and forgiving spirit so that you know when you fail, you're just learning something new and you can try again. Oh, that's lovely. lovely. I'm not going to butcher that by asking another dumb question, but I will oh, <laughs> ask so you... I, I will ask you to pitch what what are you like what are you excited about uh, plugging for our audience? What do you want them to try of yours? What's your your most oh. favorite thing right now? Oh wow! Well, you know, gosh, I mean, I'm just I love so many different things. But what I have to say is, please try to play my game, dear reader. It's on Apple Arcade, which is a subscription service. But if you get an iPhone or a Apple TV or a any kind of new hardware, usually you get like a few months for free yeah. So try it out. See what you see, what, see what you think. Um, I've even gotten responses from, from some of our players that uh, one in particular said they have ADHD and they struggle sitting down to read for an extended period of time. But with Dear Reader, they've been able to engage with all these different books. So it is a game of uh, playing with classic literature you put it back together. So if you like word puzzles, there's 24 different types of word puzzles in that game. And you can make it through uh, Pride and Prejudice or Ulysses. <laughs> uh, it is. You know, great, Holmes great. of Emily Dickinson. Yeah. yeah. Which are all fantastic. And uh, the mechanics, some some of the mechanics are extraordinarily frustrating. I get the swap mechanic <laughs> in particular drives me batty because there's my brain can just make sense of anything in there. And oh, yeah. uh, it's it is it, it's deceptively challenging. It seems like an incredibly easy conceit. And just wait because oh, yeah. it gets very oh, yeah. challenging. And uh, I have it's not like throw my phone challenging. But it is. <laughs> I try to. I try to meter that particular response. Colleen, you're fantastic. Thank you so much oh, for sitting down you. with us. And Keith and Nikki, thank you for having me here. And I just really hope that uh, uh, you uh, stay playful, right? Uh, and that everybody just remembers that uh, if you don't get it the first time, you can always try again. There's uh, always a do-over, and failure is not a bad thing if you're approaching things spirit you know mm. love it thank you colleen and thank you everybody for downloading and listening to this show thank you for your time and your attention don't forget if you have something to contribute about this conversation we're heading over to the show talk channel in our discord server and you can join us right there by becoming a supporting member at the deluxe level or better on behalf of nikki kinzer and colleen macklin i'm pete wright and we'll see you right back here next week on taking control the adhd podcast mm -hmm.